What's the goal of the FNF Coaches Podcast? We want you to learn something from the best coaches in high school football. We hope that you'll jot down some notes that will help you improve your program. Welcome to the FNF Coaches Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Guttenplan. More and more football coaches are using the Feed the Cats approach to speed training, and today we have the originator of that philosophy. Tony Holler invented the revolutionary new method of training sprinters at Plainfield North High School in Illinois. It's called Feed the Cats. It's a minimalist approach to training and discourages putting sprinters through long workouts that make them feel crushed at the end. He shares how he came up with the training approach and how it has helped him become the most influential high school track coach in the nation. Before we get to the podcast, some quick notes. If you want to receive a notification on your phone every time we produce our weekly podcast, subscribe to the FNF Coaches Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, or Google Play. Go ahead and give it a five-star review. To check out new content each and every day, visit FNFCoaches.com. Follow us on Twitter at FNF Coaches. Let's get right to the interview with Tony Holler. Coach Holler, thanks so much for joining the podcast. Uh, thank you. I'm excited. I love talking to coaches who do things differently, uh, both football, speed training, strength training, all those things. I know you are someone who does things differently and don't do it the way that it's always been done just for the sake of doing it that way. Um, in terms of the Feed the Cats program, um, a lot of our coaches are familiar with it, and we'll kind of get into the uh, details of it in a minute. But first, I wanted to ask you, what were you seeing uh, across, you know, speed training, track and field, or even training for football that caused you to think that speed training needed to be done differently? Well, it was really just a, a selfish thing on my part. Uh, in 1999, I was 40 years old. Um, I, uh, my oldest son was an eighth grader who could dunk a basketball, a uh, very good athlete. And um, I just want to say championship in track, but I was doing it the old way. The old way is to get tired, to fight through pain, to outwork our competition, um, Clyde Hart uh, influenced coaches all over the United States, 10 times 200, 10 times 300, just a, a lot of volume training. Uh, kids didn't like track. And my son, Alex, said, uh, said Dad, I, I think I want to play baseball in high school. And I was like, good Lord, you're living with a coaching legend in track and you're going to play baseball? He goes, yeah, Dad, track sucks. And so at that point, I, I was like, how many other – really quality athletes am I missing because track sucks. Yeah. And so what I did is say, we're, we're not going to run anymore in practice. All we're going to do is sprint fast and jump. Uh, our practices are going to be short. Everyone that we run against is going to outwork us, but we're still going to kick their ass because we're going to have better athletes. And then Part of my stuff is that we're going to time everything just like we would time everything if we were preparing guys for the NFL combine. And, and what I found was that we were not undertrained. We were trained correctly. We were in great condition to sprint. Now we weren't in great condition to run the mile, mm -hmm. but who cares? And so what happened was I attracted all the cats in my building, my, the football players, the wide receivers, the dunkers, and we were unstoppable. And like I said, the, the really important thing was that we were not undertrained. The slowest kids on my team improved the most. But don't you need to have guys who do the mile and, you know, the 5K and stuff like that on a track team? Or did you just say we're just going to dominate in sprinting or you're training them differently? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I was at a school of 600 kids 
And, uh, and I was uh, one of two coaches. I had a part-time coach that coached the, th- the throws. Mm-hmm. So because speed is the key ingredient in arguably 14 of the 18 events, um, that speed focus served me well because I was a single, just one coach. Now, right now where I'm at, I'm at a school of 2,500 kids, and we have 40 kids in our distance crew that are fabulous. You know, I have a great distance coach. So the, the, the fact is, though, that it used to be in track and still is in many places where all the athletes were trained like quarter milers. They were all, they just ran and ran and ran. And then, you know, the kids that could run a little bit further were moved up. The kids that had some genetic speed got moved down. And I just really changed that thing where instead of focusing on the 400, we focused on the 40. Now, like I said, though, of course you need those distance kids, but distance kids are year round anyway. They run cross country. They run miles all summer. So it's really a separate training program. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. And that's why I think it's so applicable to football. You hear, uh, you know, so many football players want to get their 40 time down or even a standard play is going to last how long, you know, maybe five or six seconds. So you need that top speed, the quick burst. And I've heard so many football coaches um, reference your program over the last couple of years as the way that they got their guys to really improve their speed. Now, I, I, we should probably get into it a little bit more for the coaches who are, who are not familiar. What, um, when you decided to make that change, what were kind of the tenets that you based the program off of? Well, there, there's a lot. and it, It's really organically grown. You know, I didn't call it feed the cats back then, but, but I realized that there were special athletes that are fast twitch. They, they were cats of the world. They were lazy seeming, but they were capable of very high outputs. And those cats are the special athletes that are the prize, you know, that they win games for you, whether it's basketball, football, baseball, whatever. And so, um, so the tenants were things like never let today ruin tomorrow, which is something that none of my coaches ever believed in. They ruined every tomorrow. Um, matter of fact, in double sessions, the practice in the morning ruined the practice in the afternoon. And that was perfectly acceptable to football coaches. And I think it still is. And that's why, um, it, this is so revolutionary. It should not be revolutionary, but it is. Uh, we have things like tired is the enemy, not the goal. Well, I'm sorry, but tired was the goal for every coach I ever had. Even my father, who was my basketball coach, used to say that we're going to work so damn hard in practice, the games are going to be easy. Mm-hmm. And we were all just head shaking, you know, because we're, we're, we were athletes. You know, we believed in our coach, and he was 100% wrong. Uh, the games should be the hardest thing you do by doing that. You're going to stay healthier, fresher. You're going to be happier. You're going to look forward to practice. Your coach is going to treat you better because you're going to show up to practice enthusiastic instead of dragging your ass like most teams do every day. So the coach has to be mean and nasty and motivate and push and cuss out their players for not giving high effort. And so we are not high effort. This is not a high effort program. This is a high intensity program where, and this is revolutionary too. Typically in off seasons, there was just huge volume, weight room, huge volume conditioning. The strength and conditioning world has ruined off season training because they're in the weight room and then they're just conditioning, you know, like running slow, half-assed sprints. And that's not good. We want to stay near a state of performance at all times. We need to have a laser-like focus in the off-season on speed and power and explosiveness. 
And, you know, it's just, it's just weird thinking that coaches have done for the last hundred years that we're going to practice hard and slow. That's magically going to um, result in super fast, enthusiastic, healthy, happy game days. Mm-hmm. And it's just not like that. You know, so, so when we're feeding the cats, we have this laser-like focus on getting faster and more explosive at all times, building better athletes. Now, how does that translate to the uh, to the weight room? Because, you know, a lot of football coaches talk about, you know, this being a really developmental part of the year where you guys want to get bigger. You get, want guys to get bigger and stronger. But like you said, you know, if you're in there doing uh, 90 minutes of 12 reps at high weight, like you're going to be sore the next day. That's not going to you're not going to be able to get out there and run as fast as you need to. So what what type of strength training program do you recommend? That's a great question. And oftentimes I get pigeonholed as anti-weight room. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not. Uh, the weight room is important. But what really bothers people is they they invest uh, four years of college on a strength and conditioning degree. They become certified. They own a gym. Um, and then a guy like me comes around and says, you, got, you have to prioritize speed. Right. The, the stuff you do in the weight room is supplemental. It's secondary. And that just hurts them, you know, and, and I'm telling you, like, you know, we, we keep so much data. One of the things we do is record, rank, and publish everything we do, everything, even our workouts, we record, rank, and publish all that data we keep. And over COVID, it's been so crazy. So many of our best athletes, the only way they could work out in the cold Chicago winter was to go to a weight room mm-hmm. and they gained 20 pounds. They loved the way they looked in the mirror. Uh, but they come out for me, sprint training wise, much more soft tissue injuries. All of them, all of them are slower, even though they look bigger and stronger. So if, if that's the case, then we need to reevaluate some of the things we do in that weight room. Right. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I have strong ideas about that. I just think that, don't even get me started about Division One football, at 95% of all schools, uh, their SNC coach is either a power lifter or a bodybuilder. And then they brag about how many guys can bench press 315 and, and how many guys can, can uh, clean 315 and all those kinds of things that really have, in my opinion, have no direct influence on performance. Now, body armor and size is extremely important in football. I'm not saying that that's not true. But I've often asked people in the weight room, show me one thing, one thing that you do in here that fast guys do much better than slow guys. They, they can't answer it. Yeah. They can't answer it. Yeah. I, I wanted to ask, I, I had did a podcast um, a couple of months ago with Kevin Kelly, coach Kevin Kelly from Pulaski Academy. I don't know if you've heard of him. Oh, okay. Yeah. He's a, he's an innovative, you know, he does things differently just like you do. And he, um, you know, he goes forward on fourth down. He never punts. Uh, he onside kicks every time. One of the things he said is it takes courage to do it differently because you could lose your job quicker. You know, if it doesn't work out in year one, they're not going to give you a year two. Whereas if you just go with the status quo, uh, let me give him, you know, three, four years. So you're putting your, yourself out on the line. Also, um, you know, you, you've got to fill the practice time. If you're letting people out an hour early, everybody's, you know, looking at you like, hey, we have these time commitments. What's going on here? Why do you think coaches resist this so much uh, at the high school level? Well, I, I think that I think it's the college level, too. Yeah. NFL level. And I think you hit uh, right 
on the nail. Um, the, the, people have asked me, how did I have the courage to turn training upside down? And I'm like, courage? I, I coach a sport that parents don't even attend the meets. I, I coach orphans. Nobody gives a flying flip about the track team. You know, it's, it's, it's the ball sports that people care about. So because people don't care, they're not even paying attention to what we're doing. Plus, I write the articles. I own the narrative. So these poor football coaches, even the guys that say, okay, I have drank the Kool-Aid. I am 100% in on Feed the Cats, 100%. And there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these coaches out there right now. Some of them call it sprint-based football instead of Feed the Cats, but same thing. Yeah. You know, just performance-based stuff. And what they say is that, you know, I may win my first five games. And when I finally lose a game, it's going to be because we're soft. Mm-hmm. It's going to be because we're not practicing three hours. It's because in the feed the cat system, you don't condition. You do zero gassers at the end of practice. In, in a feed the cat system, a, a dad, an old school dad's going to look out at practice and say, there's too much standing around. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the, the dad does not know the facts. In an NFL game, this is crazy. There's over 100 commercials. The players are not running around during those commercials. Right. There's 75 minutes of televised standing around in an NFL game, televised, just loitering. And then there are more replays than there is live action, which means during a replay, those guys aren't, you know, like running line to line or something. They're standing around. So why in the world would football coaches think that a football practice needs to be constant motion? You know, like running from drill to drill and, well, because it looks good. It looks good for that old school dad out there. It looks good to your athletic director. And 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 what I would like to say, I would rather be good than look good. And so so and then I'll, the other thing I say is John Wooden um, said, never mistake activity for achievement. In my opinion, the average sports practice has tons of activity and very little high outputs. Yeah, no, it's true. I've I've been to NFL or even college games where you see the official just standing in the middle of the field with their hand up and they're, you know, hey, we have to come back from our commercial before we can do anything. And you're like, what is going on here? Um, and there, you know, there's also a piece of that in high school where they'll, they'll take a lot of time in between changes of possession or, you know, after the kickoff or something like that. Um, so it is. But it's not like you're getting these guys together and you're saying, hey, let's do four forties that, you know, high the highest velocity speed you can go. And then you're out of here in, you know, 15 minutes You're you have a lot of drills. How do, how do you, how do you fill the time outside of, you know, the high output maximum yeah, well, velocity? Well, you know, our practices and track never last more than an hour. Okay. Uh, my team has never run a lap to warm up. We have never run more than we have never, we don't ever run. We've never sprinted more than a 200 in practice. And that includes my 400 meter runners. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and my four, four by four teams have been all state 13 out of the last 25 years. So people who say, oh, it's just a short sprint program. It's not true. You know, we learn how to sprint farther in season. But to your point, I would train Well, I do train off season track athletes, the same as off season football players, the same as off season soccer athletes. We are training to lift heavy, sprint fast, jump high, jump far. We are trying to create apex predator athletes. Mm-hmm. We are not trying to uh, create athletes that could possibly make the cross country team right. or possibly make the Olympic powerlifting team. 
those things we don't care about at all. So a, a typical uh, speed workout, if I was working with, uh, and I have, and do, I've coached football for 25 years, um, I would spend about an hour doing either speed drills or, or speed stuff or X-Factor stuff. Our speed stuff is basically 10 speed drills where I coach daily, you know, mechanics, posture, um, everything. I mean, the average good athlete runs terribly. I mean, they are totally untrained, totally. Uh, my partner, Chris Corfus works with David Montgomery for the Bears. And he came to Chris last summer saying, nobody has ever speed trained me ever. I've never had sprint training ever. And here he is, one of the best running backs in the NFL. Mm -hmm. A step slow, mind you. But when he came to Chris, he was running 20.9 miles an hour. Eight weeks later, he's running 22.1. Wow. And the season he had last year, he was a changed man. And he's back working with Chris uh, this summer. So what, what we would do is those speed drills followed by three 40-yard dashes, maybe two 40s and one fly 10, which about the same thing. We're just getting to max speed and seeing, seeing how fast we can do max speed. Or 10 meters and when we do that we can turn that time into a miles per hour mm -hmm. and i've kind of led the miles per hour charge um you know we have miles per hour wristbands 20 21 22 23 for our track team and the and the guys will fight like hell for those bands just like ohio state will uh fight for those buckeye stickers yeah. you know it, it's that type of thing so we have that culture of speed and so after that speed workout the guys will go lift and i'm typically not in charge of the weight room um, uh, when I coach. So what I would tell the guy in the weight room is don't screw up my speed training. Mm -hmm. Just don't screw up speed. And you look at me like, what? I mean, we're going to get big. We're going to get strong. I said, okay, if, if on Monday you ruined my Tuesday practice, I'm pissed. Yeah. Um, and, and so he said, well, when, 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 when can I crush them? When can I crush them? And, you know, and, and I said, well, you can crush them on Thursday because, because on Thursday we're going to give them three days off. So, so we are not ever going to ruin our sprint training. That's, that's what I call prioritization. Now, the people who have worked with me, they feel very comfortable with that. So we can do that. We don't have to crush them every day. I'm like, amen. Thank you. Thank you. You don't have to crush them every day. And, and so I was going to tell you also, we don't sprint every day. So the day after we sprint, we do what we call X-factor work, mm -hmm. which are basically exercises. If we can measure it, we do. Um, if we can time it, we will. And those exercises are things that fast guys do really well. Remember, I said there's nothing that a weight room guy can point to in the weight room and say, fast guys do this well, slow guys don't. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they'll try to say that with like cleans and Olympic lifts. Yeah. But I say, well, that, that, that fat guy over there is good at cleaning too. And he's slower than hell. So <laughs> don't tell me that. Don't tell me that. So what we have found is there are certain exercises like, jumping over hurdles, uh, uh, doing bounding, uh, doing one-legged bounding. Uh, there's certain things that fast guys do a hundred times better than slow guys. Mm -hmm. So on X factor days, we try to get the slow guys to do better at those exercises. And we never burn the stake. Never, ever burn the stake. <laughs> I mean, like, like I said, we do three time sprints. Not only that, but we take five minutes in between them. And the guys are just playing grab ass for five minutes and coaches who visit say, shouldn't they be doing like some stations or some push-ups or something? I go, no, they're cats. Cats sleep 20 hours a day. You must recover 
greatly to have really high outputs. If you cram together, you know, if you eliminate the recovery, oh, sure, it will be hard, but outputs will never be high. And we don't get faster by running four nine forties. Yeah. We get faster by running four five forties. Right. Uh, and I bet a lot of football coaches heard the part where you say, you know, we don't run to warm up uh, or, you know, we don't, we don't do that type of stuff. We don't do those warm ups, And they're thinking, Oh my God, like you're, and then you're going to have a guy run a four or five They're going to pull a hamstring. What do your warm ups look like? That's uh, first of all, I never use the word warm up, mm-hmm. and I never use the word endurance because those, those are like antithetical to feed the cats. Right. Right? Cats don't jog yeah. period. Cats don't jog. I posted a thing yesterday, somebody um, trying to get a cat to go on a leash with them, and the cat just lays down on his back. I mean, that's that's the way your wide receivers will be when you condition that wide receiver, because you're trying to turn a racehorse into a workhorse. Yeah, and that's not what we should be doing. Right. It can it confuses coaches though, because the average coach was a slow guy, a weight room grinder, an overachiever come early, stay late, loved his own coach. And because of his roots being in slow, hard work, that's what he puts onto his team. And of course, his favorite player is not the wide receiver. He thinks the wide receiver is lazy. He likes that overachiever linebacker that's 20 pounds too light and two inches too short, but busts his ass every play because that was him when he was a coach. So what what I tell people to do in a warm-up is I thought this was a pipe dream at first, but so many teams are doing it now to do 10 super intense speed drills. You can even add some lateral speed stuff and then literally time a couple 10 meter flies mm-hmm. because there's nothing that warms you up better. I don't like that word prepares you better for practice than to light up your central nervous system. Yeah. And so many warmups are just kind of slogging through a sloppy, you know, just barely moving your body heat's getting up, but you are not prepared to sprint. So you mentioned hamstring injuries, football's nuts. They play in third gear the whole off season because they're tired all the time. Mm-hmm. They're tired all the time in practice. So they're in third gear and then they go out and play in fifth gear. Right. And I wonder what might happen if you are not conditioned to sprint at 22 miles an hour. Yeah. Well, if you practice 18 miles an hour all week and you bust loose going 22, you're going to pull a hamstring. So coaches who are afraid of pulling hamstrings don't sprint in the off season, don't sprint uh, in practice. And then they complain about hamstring injuries in games, which is weird. Yeah. Or even training camp, you know, you see a lot of hamstring injuries when they're sprinting for the first time trying to lose a cornerback. But uh, the record rank publish, um, I know a lot of a lot of teams are on apps now. They're on uh, digital platforms to have the, you know, all that information. You said, you know, you're you've been one of the out in front of the miles per hour. In what way do you, ways do you share it? You mentioned, you know, bracelets or things like that. How do you how do you publish it to your entire team? Yeah, well, yeah, like I said, we have four speed bands, 2021, 22, 23. I've even proposed, I don't work with bigs anymore, but but I, I think the big guys in football are grossly undertrained as athletes. Mm-hmm. It's almost like, hey, just get a little fatter and we're gonna work your butt off. You know, and that, you know, I don't think you should treat big guys like hogs. They're big cats and they need to learn how to jump and skip and gallop and sprint and wear spikes and all those things. 
the NFL sure appreciates fast offensive tackles. And I don't know why uh, uh, high school guys don't do that. But um, so what I do is I'm kind of a savant on spreadsheet stuff. Mm-hmm. So I do everything on Google Sheets. Um, and, and I will literally work more when I get home after practice than I work in practice, you know, doing all that stuff and sorting and ranking and all that stuff. We also have numbers from, you know, like the last 15 years. Um, so we can do historical stuff. I can take a freshman in high school and say, holy cow, your vertical was 33 inches. That's higher than any freshman we've ever had. Look, look, look at the best freshman. So everything we do, it gets recorded and ranked and all that stuff. And, and then I just post that, that link on, on Twitter mm-hmm. and I have over 16,000 followers. Um, but my guys all see it. Like I told him yesterday, you know, we were, we were going through timed wickets. Um, and I said, look, you know, you guys be, better be ready to sprint because a billion Chinese people are going to see your time. <laughs> there's going to be a bill. I'm going to put on the world wide web and there's going to be a billion people see your time. And my guys buy into that, that we're adding meaning and significance to what used to be just dreadful hard work. Now you said, uh, well, one thing that's a little bit different, like we've been talking a lot about the actual, you know, physical aspect of the program. I wanted to ask, I, I saw somewhere that you said never crush the physical or emotional soul of your athletes, which is more of a, you know, mental performance. Uh, how does that, how, how do you, how does that play out? Is it all positivity at practice or how do you make sure that you're not harming the physical or the emotional soul of your athletes? Well, I think that, you know, I, I mean, old school coaches quote Lombardi all the time, you know, like uh, fatigue makes cowards of us all. Yeah. Uh, but but they're using it differently. They're using to justify doing uh, 100 up downs and 20 gassers at the end of practice and having three guys like pass out. And, and so I'm using it differently. I'm saying we don't want to be fatigued. We, we want to take the required rest. And, and one of the things that um, I think is really important, I'm good friends with Brian Kula, who uh, who's the fabulous personal trainer of, of uh, McCaffrey. Uh, the place for the Panthers yeah. and McCaffrey does zero conditioning in the off season. Hmm. Zero. I'm like, there is no endurance. There's uh, there is no warm up. He does a bounce fire series, which is like my speed drills. Uh, they time stuff. Uh, they bought free lap. Um, and you would think that that, Oh, and then they lift like crazy too, but they lift heavy, but minimal. They kind of like a feed the cats type of lifting. They do, Barry Ross stuff that Barry wrote a book on underground secrets. Um, a great book. If there's a feed the cats lifting program, it's underground secrets. So, so having done that, you'd say, oh, okay, McCaffrey may report faster and more powerful than he's ever been to training camp, mm-hmm. but he's going to take a hit when they do those 16, one tens right. or that 300 shuttle. Well, not so fast. He won the thing. What people don't understand, people who feed the cats understand this. Speed creates speed endurance. Speed creates sprint capacity. Speed endurance means the faster you are, the faster you can run a long way. Yeah. Sprint capacity is the faster you are, the faster you can run multiple sprints. Like, for example, we have a sprint capacity workout where we do 10 timed 40s in 10 minutes a line of 10 guys 
and they run. As soon as the first guy hits the finish line, the second guy goes, they walk quickly back. They have 10 minutes to do 1040s. And then we average the 1040s. We time with free lap and we sort it and all that kind of stuff. And there is no such thing as the best conditioned guy is ranked at the top. Who's ranked at the top? The fast guys. The fastest guys, yeah. Because if you can run a four five forty, you can run four seven all day. If you can only run a four nine because you were trained hard with tons of conditioning, you can't run a four nine all day. I mean, you're you're gonna be a little slower when you get tired, even if you're super well conditioned. Um, so, so speed creates what we call speed endurance. And what we need to do is raise that ceiling of speed. And one other thing, speed is the tide that lifts all boats. Even doing less lifting guys, lifting numbers will go higher because of speed gains, because the central nervous system is maybe more important than your muscles. Now, in terms of, you mentioned microdose training, um, and I think you touched on it by saying, you know, you're, even your 400 guys don't do anything more than 200s. You know, you have a lot of 40s. Is that what is that kind of the idea with microdose training or what? How does it work? Yes. Um, now, I, I say that when we get into the track season, we go from a speed and power only approach, speed, power, explosive only, and nothing will interfere with that, period. Now, once we get into track season, it, it's different. It gets more complicated. We have to learn how to sprint farther. That's for speed endurance. Right. Um, we have to learn how to sprint more often. Like my best guys are going to run four sprints in their meet tomorrow. Right. So that's sprint capacity. And then we must survive the season. So we must learn how to sprint farther, sprint more often without becoming injured or hating our work. Right. So, so what we will do is we have these very strategic lactate workouts where our last one we did, uh, we spiked up three 150s at pretty much full speed, yeah. four minutes rest. And we call our four by four predictor. You add up the three times, even though it's 450 total meters of work, we add up the three times and that's your predicted four by four split. So if you are like a college elite, it's a run in start, but it, if you can go 15, 15, 15, you're a 45 second guy. Yeah. You, you're, you're like damn good. Right. Um, in high school, um, my best guys can go 16, 16, 16, which, which translates or predicts a 48 second um, time. Now you say, well, why don't you just run 400s? Well, if you can take uh, a 48 second 400 guy and say, I want you to run full speed in practice, he'll run a 55. Because there's no juice, there's no, but by breaking it down into smaller segments and, and eliminating full recovery, we're able to learn how to get biochemically tough, to live with the acidity that's created by this anaerobic glycolytic work. And uh, so even that, you say, well, wait a minute, you're saying that, what do you do after the three times 150? Well, we kind of lay around on the grass and then go home. I mean, like. That's what we do. We get a training stimulus. Whereas other teams, almost every college team I know, will do things like six 200s. And they'll call that a lactate workout. They just did like five times more work than my guys. Mm -hmm. So that's that's a, an example of even microdosing our hard work. 
Now, do you, you uh, mentioned like parents aren't as into track as they are football, so you don't hear from as many. Have you? I'm sure you, over the course of your years, you've experienced some coaches who, um, you know, either show up to a track meet, their kid doesn't do as well as they were hoping, and they say, "Hey, they need to be training harder." Do you have you experienced that? Um, I, I have. You know, I'm 62. You know, I'm I'm smarter than parents because I taught chemistry for 38 years. Um, you know, they 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 kind of respect my egghead stuff. You know, uh, I'm just kidding. But anyway, um, typically my guys believe in me because love is really the central part of feed the cats. When, when you put a kid's happiness and healthiness above all things, kids will love you. And, and, and we have a tendency to return love, you know, like kids that love me, I love them back. And it's like this positive feedback loop. It's really good. So basically I never see that. I never see that with my sprinters. It happened one time in 2005. I was a new coach at Franklin High School in uh, outside of Nashville, Tennessee. And my best athlete had responded great to the first year of training him as a cat. He, he considered himself a middle distance guy. I turned him into a cat. I took him from 51 flat in the 400 to 47.99 his junior year. So he was sub 48, not by much, but sub 48 yeah. as a 5'7 white kid in Tennessee. Yeah. And a bad thing happened at the state meet. He thought he had a chance to win. The guy who beat him was better than he was, ran 46 low. Oh, wow. Yeah, and, and John, man, he worked so hard to try to catch him that he faded late and a second guy passed him. Mm-hmm. So he went from being state champion, he thought, to being third place. The parents didn't speak to me on the way out. Uh-huh. I knew it was not going to end well. And so um, I wonder if they would transfer him or something to another school. But sure enough, the dad said that we're going to have him trained in a Clyde Hart program by his AAU coach next year during the track season. And I was like, oh, that's a kind of a punch in the face. Um, um but I, I try to put kids first, and I said, okay, but he has, still has to come to practice. He doesn't have to do what we do, but he has to be there. Right. And he has to be a leader, and he, he needs to be positive about our program and all that kind of stuff. And he was trained, you know, doing long runs on Mondays, you know, four-mile runs. He was trained doing 10 200s. And his endurance was better as a senior, but he never broke 50 in the four hundred. Um, he's a great guy, great competitor. I love him to death, but that's literally the only time that's ever happened to me. Now, what about injuries? Like, do you have metrics if somebody, uh, you know, if, if somebody were to like tweak a calf, uh, you know, and then their parent comes to you and they're like, Hey, I don't think this training is working. Do you have metrics that show like, here's how many injuries I had before we switched to the feed the cats program. And here's what we have now. Not really, but that's a great, great question. Um, when you put health and happiness first and some, and, and kids truly believe that you have their best interests in heart, uh, uh, they will tell you things like coach, my shins are hurting. Yeah. I go, well, don't, don't run today. Coach. I think I can still run. I, I said, well, but, but if it makes you worse then today was a negative. Right. And as soon as you start doing that, um, and, and you really value their freshness and talk to them about getting an extra hour of sleep, 
because of dopamine and testosterone flowing through their bodies and how we repair and grow and recover when we sleep 10 times better than when we're awake. So those things really improve our injury situation. The second thing that really improves it is that we are very well conditioned um, to sprint. Now, not conditioning in the in, in the normal sense, which is like lots of volume, we are, we sprint off season, in season, two or three times a week, all the time. We spike up and we sprint. We sprint on day one. When we came back after COVID, we spiked up and sprinted. Most coaches are like, oh, we need to do like six weeks of GPP and lots of, you know, like distance running and Bob, you'll do a bunch of burpees too. That'll, that'll help, you know, get them in shape. No, we, we sprint but we're in very low dose. I mean, three spiked up sprints, that's 15 seconds of sprinting. Yeah. That's not exactly what's going to get you hurt. And then the third thing is uh, my, my partner, Chris Corfist, is, is pretty much the head of RPR, uh, along with J.L. Holdsworth and Cal Dietz. RPR is Reflexive Performance Reset. And since we started doing RPR, we used to call it Be Activated, because it came from Douglas Hill from Cape Town, South, South Africa. But since we started doing RPR, we literally have eliminated hamstring injuries from our programs. Hmm. Uh, no, I haven't had a, uh, my fastest guy, 1031 in the hundred when he was only 15. Uh, now he's at Purdue. My fastest guy is junior year had a couple cramp situations, weird things, but they weren't injuries. They, you know, like, like after the meet, it'd be like, no coach, I'm fine. I don't know why I cramped up during the race. So if you take that away, we have not had a single hamstring injury in seven years. And Chris Corfus will say the same thing. Cal Dietz is the head of uh, uh, hockey at Minnesota. And they went, I think, 10,000 practice hours last year without a single soft tissue injury. Wow. RPR is, is basically a breathing thing and a manual. You're pressing on different things. It's, it's voodoo, but it works. So hmm. that that's why we stay healthy. That's great. Um, yeah, it made me think, you know, all these guys we had talked about earlier, these guys who come into training camp every year and pull the hamstring, they're probably, I think most football coaches say, you know, take take a month off at the end of the season and don't do anything. Let your body recover. And then, you know, it's kind of easing back into it. And like you said, they're just not hitting that, uh, the same speed they're going to do on the first day of practice. And that's why it happens. Um, last question I wanted to ask is, and you had mentioned earlier, you use Google sheets. I think you said free labs for the timing system. What, what type of technology do you need or would you recommend for, uh, for this program? Well, you know, getting back to Chris Corfus, Chris Corfus, you know, he has the 1080 sprint, um, the, uh, $20,000 over speed and resistance machine produces tons of data. Uh, he has every gadget that's ever been created, um, and he does remarkable work, um, but I'm not a gadget guy. Um, we, we use mini hurdles. You know, that's like a pain for me to haul out the mini hurdles. Uh, we use the free lap timing machine because it's weatherproof. It's easy to transport. I've been doing that for seven years. Um, um, I'm sponsored as a speaker uh, by Simply Faster. I've been working with them for a long time. Uh, and outside of that, you know, I mean, before I had timing equipment, I used a stopwatch, you know, and all we did was 40s. We couldn't do 10 flies. You really need a, you need a timing machine to get that 10 fly. And by the way, the 10 fly 
is much more indicative of athleticism than the 40. I like the 40 because it's half acceleration, half max speed. I love the 40. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. But when you tie in that 10, uh, that 10 meter fly and a guy runs it in exactly one second, that's 22.5 miles an hour. And 22.5 miles an hour is the real deal. I mean, yeah. you are, that's what you are. I yeah. think there's some false positives with 40 times. Guys that aren't that fast can still have a respectable 40 time, but then their max speed is not going to be very good. And I think max speed is, uh, has tons to do with longevity in the sport. Uh, slow does not age well yeah. in, in any sport. Um, and, and, for some reason, even, you know, like the 6'5", 315-pound offensive tackles, among the 20 or so that go to the combine, the fastest five go to the first round. I mean, it's you wouldn't think the sumo wrestlers of football would value, you know, the teams would value their speed. But that speed is, is definitely athleticism. So getting back to the technology part of it, I use my computer all the time. Yeah. Uh, oh, uh, the iPhone has changed the world in terms, you know, uh, I video stuff and yeah. kids, sometimes I fake video, you know, I'll, I'll do my phone like this and kids will think I'm videoing and I don't even have it on. Yeah. But the fact that they think they're being closely observed and that video may go out to 16,000 people or a billion Chinese people, uh, later, uh, they, uh, um, they will give me a higher output. Wow. And if we can reach speeds, in sprinting or heights and jumping that we've never before reached, we will never be the same. We, we are a changed human being. And so by chasing that consistently all the time, we get further than other people. Yeah. It's all a por- part of the record rank publish strategy, I guess. Now the iPhone's part of that record, you, you know, you, yeah. the guys want to go fast. Uh, well, that's, this has been great coach Holler. I, I think so many football coaches could benefit from, uh, you know, uh, taking this type of approach to their speed training. And even like you said, strength and conditioning, you don't want to uh, wear guys out and you want them to be fresh. So thanks so much for joining. It's been a pleasure talking to you and um, I appreciate you doing it in season. Well, thank you. And I wanted to plug, we were having two big events we do something called the track football consortium. Right. Yeah. I saw and that July 9th and 10th. Uh, we're having it at McKinney high school in Texas. They, their home stadium holds 12,000 people. It's one of the most beautiful places. And where we're going to hold the consortium actually looks out onto the field. Um, uh, tickets will go on sale probably next week for that. And then we have uh, the July 23rd and 24th TFC at Ankeny High School, just north of Des Moines. And, um, and I have our two top speakers. We think <laughs> we we, we, we have a, it's probably going to happen that there's going to be a couple huge guest speakers from that area. Uh, one happens to be my favorite football coach um, uh, and his team wears uh, maroon and yellow. And the other guy uh, is maybe my favorite track coach and his team wears black and yellow. Um, so people can kind of put those things together. We don't have a total confirmation on those two guys yet, but, uh, but both of those consortiums are going to be fantastic. And it's just really cool forward thinkers, rebel talents, and stuff like that. So that's what we're doing this summer. Awesome. Well, we'll keep an eye out for that. And uh, good luck with putting those events together. 
Thank you so much, Dan. Appreciate it. Thanks to Coach Holler for joining the podcast and laying out the plan for the Feed the Cats training approach. Follow him on Twitter at PNTrack. That's PNTrack. Don't forget to give the pod a five-star review on your preferred platform. The FNF Coaches Podcast is an AE Engine production. Eric Estep here. This episode is brought to you by Forney Industries. Get it done with green. Forney offers a full line of welding and plasma cutting machines, metalworking accessories, and more. For do-it-yourselfers all the way to professional metalworkers, Forney has everything you need for your next project. Shop Forney's top-of-the-line products at forneyind.com. That's Forney, F-O-R-N-E-Y, ind, I-N-D.com, or at an authorized Forney dealer near you.